Hello and welcome to the Waste of Web Space podcast, episode 59. Starring Mark and Fisher. Oh, we're not doing that anymore, are we? Sorry. No, no. We'll Jimbo. Back to normal names. Okay, and fair Fisher. enough. Um, yeah, welcome to episode 59 of the podcast. Thank you if you tuned in last week. We, we, we seem to have a bit of a surge in listeners last week on the week that we had a, a, a de-surge in technicals and uh, Wi-Fi abilities because we, we had a few problems last week, didn't we? We did. Hopefully we're all back and running fine now again this week. Uh, obviously quite disappointing that on the one week that we do get quite a lot of listeners or viewers appears to be uh, the week when we have technical problems. I think actually if you watched the last... 25 minutes or so of the video. It, um, <laughs> Do you want to replicate it, it? Well, it looked like we were dancing because it sort of, it, we were going like this <laughs> for the rest of it. So it looked like we were doing some kind of hardcore techno dancing. I tried my best to fix it and it was, that's that's really unrelated to, to Wi-Fi issues. That was just the a pain of the fact I was trying to stitch two quite large Skype videos together. It just... I just couldn't do it. It just wouldn't let me do it. It just—I I tried absolutely everything. Today, I've had to rewire my house just to just to to connect up to the Wi-Fi so it's stronger. In few, I think what happened last week as well is that it was raining just as we started our podcast after quite a nice weekend, and I think everybody came in and rushed in at exactly the same time, logged onto Netflix and and Skype and Zoom and all those kind of things, and uh, that kind of affected our recordings. I think that's what happened. Do you think there is a rival podcast in Chapeltown who is trying to exhume too much bandwidth in the area when we podcast just try and sabotage us? You fully well know we are the we are the best podcast in Chapeltown because we are the only podcast in Chapeltown. As far as, as far we're aware. aware that's... As far as we're aware. Uh, we haven't given you our title yet. Uh, this week, I thought I would do it in song form for you. So the title today of our podcast is You Saw Me In My Pyjamas On Zoom. I put out my rainbow Stood out clapping my hands Everything was fine Until the webcam I entered the meeting too quickly it seems You was already in the room I saw your cats you saw me in my pajamas on Zoom. Pajamas on Zoom. Oh, you there in your work dress with your cat on your desk. I stretched for my dressing gown to cover myself up, but it was too late and too far, and you saw too much. You saw me in my pyjamas on Zoom Pyjamas on Zoom So there you go, our episode title today, You Saw Me In My Pyjamas On Zoom, because uh, this has been a thing, hasn't it? There's been a lot of people getting themselves into bits of bother, isn't there, by uh, sort of going on Zoom a bit too soon or getting up and standing up when they've, they've not been dressed from the bottom half and things like that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I've, I've doing a, I'm doing a very large amount of video conference calls at the moment, and top half is always nice and smart. Underneath, it's not that uncommon that I'm wearing shorts. Or I've <laughs> but I've definitely got shorts on. I'll tell you that much. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't take the risk of having. I mean, we're saying this. I've got no idea what you've got on your bottom half, and you've got no idea what I've got on my bottom half. No. Nope. I'm. 
I'd like to think we've closed it to a reasonable level. Well, you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? But anyway, yeah. um, so while we were doing that, I was pouring our drinks. Sorry, Fisher, I had to have a sip of yours because I've filled it up too much. I don't know if you saw that on the webcam. Um, but and you're gonna you're gonna pass me that in this new day and age of being hygienic and coronavirus <laughs> and spreading things. We're you... we're all friends, aren't we? We're all oh, friends. Yeah. Okay. So you know, look, this isn't too bad. But have you not seen those TikTokers who have all got a TikTok house? We'll talk about this maybe a bit later on, or maybe we could just do it now. These tick, you know what TikTok is, don't you? Or you've heard of it? This video thing. I'm not sure. Can you just pass me a beer, please? All right, fair enough. There we go. So here's your beer. There you go. Got it. Thank you very much. Cheers. So I did Thank fill you. it up a bit too much. So that's why I've had a sip out of it, you see. Mine's over here. So There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, that's the title of our podcast. And we'll move swiftly on. Just to let you know, this beer is Sadler's Peaky Blinder Ale. Okay. Do you want to do a Peaky Blinders impression for us, Fisher? Um, if you'd have told me that before, I know I would have gone and got a flat cap out and be ready for it. But uh, oh, no, I've I'm got not. one as well. I could have got mine. Can you do a yeah. Can you do an, a Birmingham accent? No, not really. <laughs> I did a bit of a Birmingham accent. It's not too, my best. It's not too bad. It sounds more like uh, Adrian Childs than it does one of the Peaky Blinders. But uh, but he's from Birmingham, so that works quite well. That's absolutely fine. So yeah, Peaky Blinders Pale Ale, four point three percent from Sadler's. Um, which is brew, which is made in, uh, I'm trying to find, you, you think it might be around that sort of area. Stourbridge? 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 Uh, yeah. Is that in that kind of area? Is that in the uh, Birmingham area or not? Um, ooh, I don't know. Has, has it not got sort of a postcode underneath it? What's the postcode? Lie, Lie Stourbridge, DY9, 8ER. DY? Yeah. Oh, what postcode area is DY? Well, that'd be, that'd be an interesting conversation <laughs> for a different day. Ready for the postcode quiz that we've got coming up later on. <laughs> so, uh, you've got the item this week, haven't you? So, we, we've been starting off our podcast with um, a slightly different feature where we do a bit of a show-and-tell item. Now, the last two... Uh, so, we both did it in the first episode, we tried it, and then I did it last week. But for my last two, I've managed to trick you into choosing the wrong answer, haven't I? So, I won't, I won't see how you can do today. What have you got? Uh, what I've got is a postcode map of the entire UK, <laughs> and I can tell you that DY is for Dudley. All right, Dudley. okay. So we are right. It's in the Birmingham area then, yeah. It is in that area. So for my show and tell, I've got this. You know what it is, Jimbo? It is a child's tennis racket. It is a badminton racket, obviously. <laughs> I, mean, it's, um, I didn't know it's that, It's made really. by uh, Yonex or Onyx. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Actually, I can get rid of a pop filter and just put... Just speak through the badminton racket instead, mate. Well, no, it's got um, holes in it. It's got bigger holes in it. All right, okay, okay. Stop, being a, shut- stop being a shuttlecock. Yeah. Um, there is a <laughs> shuttlecock here. I can confirm it is a genuine badminton racket by the fact that I'm going to go like this and smash it into my life. <laughs> it and fortunately, it didn't land in my pint. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a story around my use of this particular badminton racket. And... As you may be aware, I went to a good sports university, Loughborough University, which is uh, the nation's top sporting university. Uh, as you may also be aware, the reason I went to Loughborough University was nothing to do with playing sports. And those two things are purely independent uh, events as opposed to being in any way connected. Um, however, whilst I was there, I used to play quite a bit of badminton as well as cricket, squash, um, football as well, various other sports, uh, darts, pool, if they're sports. Um, and I was involved in an incident with this badminton racket. And what do you think it was? Was it that in 2008, whilst running back to play a shot and hit the shuttlecock over my shoulder, I mistimed my shot, the shuttlecock pinged off, 
and hit in the face Commonwealth gold medalist Donna Kellogg, <laughs> which caused a halt in her game or practice session. Um, she, but that's well, a story for it to tell over a cornflakes. Uh, hey. <laughs> um, so that's that's one thing that was possible. The other one is that two years later, in 2010, I was playing badminton whilst uh, early in the morning, whilst what can only be described as a little bit worse for wear from the previous night's drinking, and myself and my partner were shown off to a group of school children who were touring the university, and they were told that we were somehow elite badminton players. <laughs> and we didn't play very well. <laughs> both very amazing stories. Uh, I wish they were both true, to be fair. So, um, okay, so Donna Kellogg, let's start with that story. Is she, yep. is she, she's not, what, what is she, is she, was she a badminton player? Uh, I mean, she was a badminton player, former badminton player. She, in 2008, she was training for the Olympics. She was Commonwealth gold medalist in, oh, I want to say maybe 2006, I think. Um, and she's a quite a decorated badminton player. Um, that means she has like a she, lot of shuttlecocks and uh, and like rackets like attached to her and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, interesting fact about a shuttlecock, by the way. Uh, shuttlecock are made from the feathers only from the left wing of a bird. Right. Okay. No, they're proper ones, though. Oh yes, it's a feather one. Is that, that, is that is that a proper proper badminton thing as well? Yeah. 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 Okay. I've been I've been playing a game while I've been um, while we've been lo- on lockdown, which is to try and I've got a, I've got a tube of shuttlecocks here. And the game is to throw the shuttlecocks like a dart into the tube, just well, to keep myself entertained. Um, so we've digressed a little bit. <laughs> Donna Kellogg uh, is a former student of Loughborough University, what, and she lives in. She's from Derby originally, so she's quite local to Loughborough. Used to train there quite a lot. How, how did she respond to being hit by shul- shuttlecock? Uh, I'll be honest; she wasn't very impressed, as you wouldn't be. Well, I'd, because I, did she have did she have a racket on her at the time? Uh, she did, yes. So why why she was she why being a, being being as as good as she is could she not could she not respond in you know in a very quick fire fashion and and hit the shuttlecock back rather than being hit in the face by it or on the head by it or wherever? Um, I think she was focusing on her game as opposed to what <laughs> might be happening on the court next to her. Uh, what she actually did, to be fair, after she went oh oh after she went like that. Um, as it hit sort of around the sort of nose eye kind of area. Uh, she actually, to be fair, gave me a little bit of advice, which is that, and it's still being good stead as well. And that, and, and it's that because what I'd done was I don't turned hit, around. Was it, was it not don't it don't hit me with your cock? Yeah. Is it, they could sound just ad- keep going with the cock jokes. Yeah. Sound advice in any scenario, surely. She said, I think. She said, I think, Fisher. The problem there is you're using a shuttlecock that is partly made from feathers from the right wing of a bird, <laughs> so therefore it's not flown properly. Now, what she said was that I I turned round and ran backwards to sort of hit hit the shuttlecock back over my um, back over my shoulder. What she said was instead of turning round, what I should do is run backwards. So I should never have I should always have my front facing the net as opposed to my back facing the net. That that makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 And also, she said it's quicker to actually run backwards. Than it is to turn round and then run forwards. If that makes sense. That's good advice. So, but that's good that she wasn't too upset and then instead give you some good advice. That's that's nice of her. Uh, good on Donna Kellogg. Um, yeah. Anyway, she didn't compete in the Olympics that, that the year because she had an eye injury, which didn't rule her out. <laughs> the other one then. Um, somebody, some, some 
they were taking some students around, some school students around, um, to look at the facilities and so on. And walking yep. past your court, they described you and your badminton partner um, as being elite athletes. Yeah, we were the only people in there at the time. Um, so we were training in the, um, na- I think it's the National High Performance Badminton Centre, which is the facility where you play badminton at Loughborough University. Surprised they let you in. Well, it was it was available to members. Well, it was available to students. Um, and I think, have you played badminton recently at all? No. Do I look like no. I've played badminton recently? Well, no. To be fair, I you thought don't. that was yeah, a, you I know, thought that was a child's tennis racket, Fisher. <laughs> well, um, but to hire a court for an hour, it was about three pound fifty or four pound or something like that. So it didn't cost much at all um, to play, which was so it was really cheap. At one point, there was a time when we were playing pretty much um, every day or every couple of days. And the facility there was a national high-performance badminton centre. It was a really, really good place. I think most people tended to train from about 10 o'clock onwards. Because we wanted to get caught, we trained at, I think, 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So when school kids came in to do their tour of the local university, there was only us in. And I could actually hear them on at the side of the court. Um, I could hear the teacher saying, look, these are some elite badminton players. And as I said before earlier on, we'd had quite a lot to drink the night before. And it was quite early, so we weren't quite in the best of shape. And we didn't particularly play very well. Um, and it was all a bit embarrassing. They soon realised that we weren't actually elite players. <laughs> they, they probably realised that very, very quickly. Right. Um, I'm going to go with, I, I really like it to be the first one, and that you 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 accidentally managed to hit a Olympic athlete with a shuttlecock in the face. I really want it to be that one. But I think the more realistic one of the ones you've said there um, is the second one, and... A student ambassador who must have been taking the lead in the tour or a member of staff may have just sort of, oh, these are elite athletes. <laughs> I can imagine them sort of saying that while on the spot. So I'm, I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Well, I can tell you that after, on a Thursday night, drinking a large amount of alcohol in a very short space of time, the following morning, we were classed as elite athletes and embarrassed ourselves in front of some school children. Hey. So I got it right. There we go. Thanks, well Fisher. Done. That was a, a great show and tell. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring another one uh, for us next week on the next episode of the podcast. Here at Lidald, we're opening our stores early for selected customers during the coronavirus outbreak. Circus clowns, here at Lidald, we understand the struggle of reaching for those custard pies when your shoes are so big you can't get close enough to the shelves. Cabin crew, miss walking down the aisle? Walk up and down hours for a full hour before we let anyone else in. Just to let you know, the exits are here, here and... Never mind. Football managers, we understand that your shopping list is structured more like a 3-4-2-2 formation, making getting around the store unorganised chaos. Accountants, come alone and stay as long as you like. Your wives think you're boring. Don't have access to the internet to do an online shop? Don't worry, just email us at shop at lidold.com and we'll sort it. Lidold. Average on prices and services for your average customer. Okay, so um, we're mixing things up a little bit this week, and uh, rather than go straight into the news now, we are going to look at uh, my feature first. So I've, I've got a bit of a feature for you, Fisher. Now, there's been a bit of, kind of a bit of doom and gloom articles this week I've seen from the, the media. Well, as always, it's, it's, never, it's always the same, isn't it? 
A bit. Sure, it's a bit more than a bit. <laughs> uh, well, of course, obviously, with all this coronavirus uh, ongoing stuff, there's, there's been various reports about basically, you know, worries and concerns that this virus is not something you you're going to be able to vaccinate against, or that you know, you, you, having it once might not make any difference to whether you could get it again and so on. And it kind of got me wondering. Um, I wanted to, and I might, I might still do this. We'll we'll put our brains together for sure at the end of this episode. And I'd like to maybe um, quiz our listeners on on if it was really going to be, if you know, if if coronavirus was going to end the human race, and it isn't. I know it isn't. But if it was going to end the human race, how would your behaviour be different? What would you do? Would you, you know, I, I, I want to really ask some really dark questions like how would you behave if we just knew that was it would you completely go off the rails do whatever you wanted go looting or whatever i don't know i wanted to ask some really dark questions and i thought well i don't want to ask our listeners that at the minute maybe we can ask them later on down the line if 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 it is all going to be over and done with but then i thought surely these kind of things already exist on the internet like you know if it was going to be the end of the world would you do this would you do this would you do this and i actually couldn't find much um but what i did find was some quite surprising survey results from um, various different surveys that people have taken part in in the past and some really surprising answers um, from the general public. So I've got some questions for you, Fisher, based on that and I just want you to give me the answers, if that's all right. Okay, no problem. Tell you what I'd do if the world was about to end. As you may have seen and observed, I'm really picky about my sports equipment, so I put the head cover back on my badminton racket. (laughs) So if the world was about to end, I would take it out of there and I'd leave it without the head cover on. Just to Actually, sorry, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it back on. I can't, uh, I can't not have it on. <laughs> Raising hell. Uh, okay, so uh, here are some, some f- different questions from different surveys. I want you to guess what the answer was from them, or I've kind of worked them around a little bit, so each question's slightly different, okay? So, one in ten people surveyed, okay, and sometimes I've got where the surveys are from, sometimes I haven't, but one in ten people who were surveyed think that HTML is what? A, a sexual disease... Or B, an illegal drug. Right. Okay. So obviously HTML is neither of those. It's um, hypertext programming language. And that's all right. Mainly it's, what it's um, involved in the like web pages and things like that, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you can write emails at HTML based and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, could it be a sexual disease or sorry, what was the other one? Sexual disease or a an illegal drug? Legal drug. Um, I think. I think people could. I think people could think it's a sexual disease. Well done. Yes. So one in ten people thought that HTML was an STI, basically, uh, on STD. However, we always say everyone says different things to that, don't they? I never understand STI, STD. The same thing, aren't they? People just use different different terminology. Anyway. Don't know. I've, I've never had either of them. <laughs> uh, number two, then, on a survey conducted in 2014 of 2,000 adults, uh, they asked 2,000 adults. Um, given the chance, would you have sex with a robot? So thinking about the future and the uh, the how robots are getting very lifelike and very realistic and very intelligent, um, what fraction of, of people surveyed, and I think this is Britons as well who were asked this, British public, 2,000 adults were asked, would you have sex with a robot? And what fraction, so we're looking for a fraction here, of, of adults said, yeah, I would. Oh, I'm just meant to guess the fraction. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's not going to be, you, you know... The, generally, the fractions that kind of get used, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, well, I think it'd be seven thirteenths, probably. I, guess. <laughs> like uh, I, said, I don't want anything. Well, well, I think obviously it'd be half, wouldn't it? It'd be all the men. <laughs> um, uh, what fraction? So I think maybe. Oh, I think potentially. I I can't imagine many women would. Um, 
yeah, whether that is a compliment to women, I don't know. I think some okay, men... Hold, 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 hold on, hold on just a minute, Fisher, right, before you yep. go down that road, right? You, you don't think many women would? Who who are the biggest buyers of sex toys in the UK, do you reckon, men or women? Uh, well... Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You can't say that. I reckon it, it could be just as likely that women would would want to have sex with a robot as men. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's, that, I, I I don't think it's going to be particularly high. I think it's probably going to be about one in five. Okay. Well, absolutely. Bang on. Well done. <laughs> I think that's quite high though. One in five. You know, saying that they would do. But uh, yeah, if they only asked men, then maybe it would be higher than that. Possibly. I don't know. I don't know, anyway. Uh, next, then. Um, so, uh, next. In 2013, a survey was conducted asking people if they would save their dog from a burning building over a foreign stranger. How many, and this is true, this is real, how many as a percentage said they would save their dog? And if you can get within 10%, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you it as a correct answer. Uh, I, th- I think this is going to be high. In fact, I'd be tempted to say 100%, but uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to be quite that high. I think, I think to be honest, for a lot of people, if it was save your dog or save a family member, they'd probably save the dog because people people like their dogs, don't they? So I'm going to say it's 85%. I think you've gone too high there. Uh, it was 40%. 40% is that all? Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a human and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe it's the way the question was asked as well, you know. A foreign stranger, they don't want to, who wants to do a survey and, and put the wrong answer on there, do you know what I mean? Or... I mean, I I I don't get the I don't get that you know like I, I like animals and stuff I like dogs and you know and it'd be very hard to choose I'm sure but like especially if it was your own dog but you'd you'd still surely always go for any sort of human who's gonna have quite a lot of family members maybe their own kids and stuff like that I don't know but there we go. You'd have thought so. I mean, it's quite an interesting thing actually in terms of uh, building self-driving cars and there's a lot there's been a lot of scientific studies. In terms of, well, this obviously might, might come up in the questions, but um, there's been a lot of studies in terms of what people prioritise. Say, for example, if the, one of the things that is integrated within the technology behind a self-driving car is it knows that sometimes it's going to crash. So it has to try and recognise what it's got to crash into and what it should do. So they ask people from various countries, if you had the chance to save an old person or a young person, who would you save? And the results vary between different countries. So it's sort ah, of thought okay. that when they do make self-driving cars, they will have different algorithms in cars, say, for example, in the Far East than they would in Europe. I think, I think sort of in Europe, they're more geared towards saving the life of younger people. Well, uh, I, 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 I'm confused. Why wouldn't they just not tell the car not to crash into anybody? <laughs> uh, well, no. The, it, it's because it's, it's got certain examples where the car knows it is going to crash. There is no... A way of avoiding a crash. Right. Okay. So it's got to try and minimise oh, so, the impact. Right. Of so it. if there's an old person there, there's a child over there, then it has to steer into one direction, basically. Uh, I mean, yeah. If, if one direction stood over. there, go straight yeah. into them. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Styles be, down. No, I'm joking. That'd be optimal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's it's like that the dilemma of there's a, a runaway train on a track. It's going to run over five workers who are on a track, and you're in the control box. What would you rather do? Leave it to carry on and knock five people over, or move the train onto a different track where it would knock over just one person? Uh, good shout. Would it be Would it be ethical to alter the alter the journey of it just to kill one person who otherwise would be innocent to save five people who would have died otherwise? Kind of thing. Depends on what the workers were doing. If they'd been told to social distance and they weren't, and they were still <laughs> going to work against the anyway. Uh, so your next question then uh, is. 
In a survey... Oh, no, sorry, I've skipped one. So, number four. In a survey conducted of 5,000 people around the world that asked how many people had fantasised about murdering someone, what percentage of men said that they had? And again, within 10%. Um, I, I think, again, it's possibly something that people wouldn't particularly want to admit to. Well, then, obviously, the person they could be murdering could be a baddie. Sorry, do we still use that word baddie, by baddie the way? Baddie can or do, yeah. Some... No, we can use baddie. That's fine by me. Could be a villain who they're trying to kind of get rid of. Um, not that we, I don't think we would ever advocate murdering people no. anyway. Um, but, you know, if it was someone who was exceptionally bad, then it might be more justifiable. So I think, obviously, all the same is fantasising it or had a dream. Did you say fantasised or had a dream? Had a dream about it? Fantasised, so that, that was the wording. I think it's going to be a bit low. I think it's maybe only going to be 30%. This is really surprising. I don't really get this one because it's certainly something I've never fantasised about. Um, 91% for men have fantasised about murdering someone or killing somebody. It's quite scary. Um, but actually, it's not It's not amazingly... It's not massively different. Well, it, it is a big difference, but it's still quite high for women. 84% of women um, have thought about that as well. So there you go. Uh, 84% um, and 100% of those are all married. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway um, next. In a survey of 3,000 British youths, 58% thought that either A, early models of Nokia mobile phones were calculators, or B, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes was a real person. Uh, ooh. Now, I think... I imagine... Because Sherlock Holmes is quite is around quite a lot, isn't he? He's, he's in a lot of films... Um, I think it, it's plausible that it could maybe be viewed as someone who's real. Um, it, it could become a fashion icon for the young of today with his Deerstalker hat. Not sure about a pipe that it smokes. Um, as where the Nokia phones, surely kids know that phones existed before touchscreen and it wasn't a calculator. They could obviously tell it's not a calculator because it's not that little solar panel strip on the top of it to make it work. <laughs> um, so I think it will be that Sherlock Holmes was real. There you go, yep. Um, so yeah, fifty-eight percent thought that Sherlock Holmes was actually uh, a real character, a real person, so not not a fictional character. In two thousand and three, in America, a survey was conducted by the Department of Agriculture to learn more about vegetarianism and people's eating habits. They called people first to find out what percentage of people class themselves as a vegetarian, and then a week later they called the same people back. What percentage of those who said that they were vegetarian admitted that they'd actually eaten meat within the last twenty-four hours? And again, we're looking for within 10%. 24 hours, right. Um, within so 24 hours of that call. Right, okay. So, so within of, of this, so, so when they called back um, the surveyors, they, they would ask um, the vegetarian, people who said they were vegetarian, have you eaten meat within the last 24 hours? Okay. And they'd say, no, but I had a pork sandwich yesterday and I had um, <laughs> some beef lasagna. Uh, I, so I think, I think it should be something that's, People are, it's popular to do, isn't it? Claiming vegetarian, it's sort of a trendy thing. Well, then actually not be. And I do know vegetarians who have at times broken from their vegetarianism to um, eat meat, sometimes due to the amount of alcohol that they've consumed and thought, sod it, I'll just eat some meat anyway. So I think maybe 25% of them admit to eating meat. It was actually 66% of them. 
<laughs> you can't say you're vegetarian, can you? Now, I would point out that that is uh, in 2003, and I do think people's habits have changed quite a lot since then. So I reckon now, I reckon you'd be, I reckon there's been a dramatic change there. But then again, that was a survey of America. <laughs> anyway, sorry, America. Um, next, seven, uh, number seven, 43% of Canadians prefer bacon to what? Is it A, sex, or B, television? Um... What was the percentage again, sorry? 43% of Canadians uh, prefer bacon to what? Is it sex or television? 43% of, of uh, bacon. Well, bacon obviously is quite popular. Um, and so sex or television? Yeah, well, did you think that sort of lean back was sort of a sex position maybe? And confused. <laughs> um, I, I Thank you. Um, I think that if bacon that not, I think, I think they probably said they prefer it to television. Okay. You're wrong. No, nope. 43% of Canadians said that uh, they preferred bacon to sex, so don't get with a Canadian, is, is all I'd say. Um, anyway, next. Um, what fraction of Americans think that the sun orbits Earth? Oh, well, of Americans, right, well... <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, uh, I had a word with one of my American friends about this and obviously said that um, the Earth is flat, so trying to get that to, the sun to go round, it must be more difficult. Um, I think it could be I think it could be higher than it should be. It's so a I fraction this time. Maybe, it's a fraction. I think maybe I think maybe one third of Americans. Oh, um... Water. Do I give it, yeah? Do I give it, oh, let's... Yeah, I'll give it, yeah. It's one in four, so there is a big jump oh, yeah. there, I suppose. But, yeah, I'm going to get... Yeah, one in four. Uh, so it's not quite as much as that, but, yeah, there you go. Again, these surveys you know, could have been conduct- conducted quite a few years ago now. So things might have changed again. Uh, in a technology survey, 23% of people thought that an MP3 was a model of a car or a robot from Star Wars. <laughs> Obviously, that's referring um, to C3PO that uh, somebody might have been mixing up um, yeah. an MP3 with. Um, so, MP3. So, uh, do you know what MP3 actually stands for? Uh, no, I don't. I should do. You'd think I would do because I've I've always, you know, working in within podcasting and radio and stuff like that. Is it Media Player 3 or something like that? Is it Was it like a format of something like that? I thought, I thought it might have been portable. Ah, um, but yeah. I, I know there's, you, you can also have MP4s. Yeah. Which I think are more video, video type thing. Yeah. Um, obviously you can have mp5s but then a lot of things that transmitted the mp5s have been sort of demolished and yeah that's been quite popular <laughs> for, of like um so so what were the options again sorry it was it was uh, a, star, a star wars a mo- robot a model or, of car or a, 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 model a of car yeah or a robot from star wars i think i think they will probably know that i think people know the star wars i think it's going to be a model of a car no yeah, 23% uh, thought it was actually uh, the robot from Star Wars, mixing them up, obviously, with C-3PO or R2-D2 or whatever. Next, then. Uh, according to National Express survey of 2,000 British people, how many people did not know what the capital of Wales was? Fisher, do you know what the capital of Wales is? Uh, yeah, W. No, it's, oh, <laughs> sorry, that's, that is very schoolboyish, that, isn't it? It's uh, Cardiff, I can't obviously. give you a symbol for that one. Uh, sorry, very, very bad. Uh, it's Cardiff, yes. Yeah. Um, that's not I'll your question. Expect- Yep, so go on, play, play, play a good sound noise. Um, how, what was it, what percentage or, or what fraction? What fraction? What fraction? I think most people should know this. So I'm going to say, what, 
Stan, he didn't. I'm going to say one sixth. Oh, well done. Absolutely spot on. All right. Yeah, one sixth of people. British people didn't know what the capital of Wales was, and it was similar sort of things for Scotland as well, um, where people weren't sure. But to be fair, Scotland's mixed me up in the past. I, I, Edinburgh, Glasgow, I, I kind of had those two mixed up in the past before with which one's the capital, so I, I'm, I'll hold my hands up to that one. Um, but anyway, next one. Uh, a YouGov su- survey, I uh, don't know what year it was from, a YouGov survey, Brits were asked if they were offered a trip to the moon, would they take it? What percentage of Brits turned it down? So if they just said, you can go to Moon, would you take it? What percentage of Brits turned it down? So this was all about when Virgin sort of announced that they'll be eventually at some stage in the future having trips to the Moon. Is this a free trip, presumably? It doesn't really give it that much detail. It's just saying, if, if you could go on a trip to the Moon, would you go? Did they say they weren't too bothered about seeing the whole of the Moon because you've seen your pyjamas on Zoom? <laughs> um, there was no prices I... mentioned or anything like that or cost. It was just a question, if you could go to the Moon, would you go to the Moon? I think most people would want to go, and I'm assuming that's sort of the, the general tilt of the question. I mean, it takes a long time. I say it takes a long time to get there, doesn't it? I think it's obviously it's in years and years' time, so obviously yeah. that could be changed quite a lot based on the plans, but yeah. Well, yeah, but when you go on holiday, you want to try and go a lot of people for going short, or just because it doesn't take that long to get there, so you're not wasting the entire day with mm-hmm. your travelling time. So I think if it took... Are we talking days to get to the moon? I think, I think. so, yeah. Um... Maybe even a week or so. I've got something at the back of Mars, maybe six months, but I think it, I think it should take six months for a rocket to get to Mars. I right. Um, I I think it will be fraction maybe about a quarter of people. No, no, we're, we're looking for percentage here. Sorry. Percentage. All right, okay. Who, who, uh, I'll who, say seven percent then. No, twenty-five percent. Who turned it down? Turned down. Twenty-five percent people turned it down. I think this is really surprising and just shows you what Brits are like. 48% said they wouldn't go, and a lot of the reasons were like, well, there's no there, is there? There's no to see. (laughs) Apart from, you know, looking back at planet Earth, like, there's nothing to see going into space, and people still turned it down. (laughs) There's no fish and chip shops on the moon, is there? (laughs) I don't know. That doesn't surprise me. Anyway, um, so, this is your last one. According to a survey by Cadbury's, one in three children between the age of four and eight years think... Um, oh, no. one in, Sorry. According to a survey by Cadbury's, one in three children between four and eight years, A, think that a cow is the same size as a double-decker bus, B, don't know that milk comes from a cow, or C, think that a cow is about the same size as a cat. Right, okay. And then I know well, the, the young children, but between four and eight, you'd, you know... You'd expect they would know better yeah. in terms of size of it. I mean, it's, it's a bit like, isn't there a scene in Father Ted where it's got Father Dougal with a cow and saying this one's really close and that one's far away? Yeah, yeah, I saw that the other day, actually. Yeah. It was on, it, I watched that the other day, it was funny. Um, which may have given you inspiration for this question. Possibly. Uh, I think that I think that you, sh- you should be able to have a rough idea of the size of a cow uh, because I think most kids have probably been to farms and that sort of stuff, popular place for kids, they go to a farm for, for no reason mm-hmm. whatsoever and probably enjoy it for a little bit and then you realise you've just spent a load of money to get in and you probably just breathe in some fresh farm air that in turn, in ultimately just smells of you know, excrement effectively and farmyards which isn't the nicest smell in the world uh, so I think that it might actually be difficult to explain and understand that milk comes out from a cow's udder. Well done, yeah. You're correct. One in three thought that, uh, well, didn't know that milk came from a cow. Actually, one in ten thought that the cow was the same size as a double-decker, and over 10% thought that 
um, a cow was small. Well, a, a cat was about a, a cow was the same size as a cat, basically. So over ten percent. But there you go. That was a little bit about surprising survey results. Who was it then? Do you think actually milked a cow once? And said, <laughs> Tell you what, I'll drink that. I'll go and put it on. I'll go and put it on my cereal as well. I'll stick it in my drinks and everything. I mean, it's a strange thing to do, isn't it? It is. Yeah. The Waste of Web Space podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and now. If you want to see pictures of Jimbo's receding hairline or Fisher's balls, sorry, cricket balls, find us on Instagram. So, a brief look at the news then. One of the reasons we, we mix this up a bit today and we're, we're doing our features in a slightly different order is that the, the news is pretty, it's pretty dull, isn't it? It's just the same sort of thing all the time, isn't it? So we thought we'd, we'd kind of do a bit less on news and, and try and kind of keep the spirits up a little bit because it's all coronavirus isn't it but there are obviously things going on um so first of all fisher i want to mention um this this uh, you know this this person who's making everybody proud to be british this former soldier who's you know making more money than he ever thought it was possible what do you reckon of course now, I know you're talking about Major Charles Ingram, yes, who has course. been back in the news. <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, he did, and, it, and, he, uh, and he got found out. And there was a program IT, uh, quiz on ITV, which I've not actually watched yet, but it's meant to be quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I think you're obviously talking about Tom Moore. Tom Moore or Tom Moores, I can't remember which. Um, and he yeah. tried to earn, um, I think, did he say, was it 500 or 1,000 pounds yeah. by walking... 25 metres, doing a 25-metre lap of his garden 100 times. I mean, to be honest, the fact... I'd like to do a 25-metre lap of my garden, but unfortunately, <laughs> I can't do 25 metres in my garden. I've seen he's got a swimming pool there and everything. I'm sure I've seen a swimming pool in the background and so on. But, but no, he's, he's, he's probably earned it. Let's let's give him that. Um, what an amazing man. Amazing, amazing person. Um, I was quite concerned when I heard how many laps he was doing because I thought, well, if I was doing that many laps of my garden, I'd have no grass left. He's going to wear it yeah. down. Yeah, well, if he's got a swim pool, why is he not doing a triathlon instead? <laughs> do a bit of jumping and do a bit of swimming. But he's currently raised more than £26 million, pounds, um, which is a very a, a, an amazing effort. Um, he's completely and utterly ignoring the old stay home and save lives thing, you know, <laughs> so he's staying indoors, but yeah, never mind. He, he can get away with you it. You know, we mentioned, we mentioned on last week's podcast... Um, those people who've uh, those celebrities that have been accused of being in parks when <laughs> when they're actually in their own gardens. Do you think anyone's got onto uh, onto Tom Moore about this and say, "Why are you in a park? You should be in your own garden." And he's in his own garden. It's just so big. Um, yeah, no. Is it his house or is it a care home he lives at? I'm not sure. Know? I'm not sure, but it, you know, it's fair play to him. What an amazing, amazing chap he is. Uh, but going back to uh, Major Charles Ingram, of course. I've heard he's going to uh, enter the um, North Korea version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but he pulled out because obviously if he coughs, he's going to get himself shot, <laughs> <laughs> or if his wife does or whatever. Um, but no, that that was a, an interesting thing that's been on recently because I think a lot of people. I mean, I saw that the quiz was going to be on ITV, and I think everyone at the minute's like, "Oh, a quiz, a quiz!" Everyone's wanting to the quizzes because everyone's bored, and then they lock, they, they sort of tune into ITV and realise that it's uh, it's actually about uh, obviously Major Charles Ingram. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to move on to talk about in the news? Uh, no, well, I well, say Tom Moses. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Charles Ingram there. It's his wife, him and his wife, Diana, I think she's called. So uh, at, at least it didn't actually end as badly as last time Charles and Diana were on TV. Um, <laughs> so it's at least slightly better on the on that front. And, and Tom Moores, I, I was actually a bit disappointed because I knew he was going to be walking around. He's got one of those Zimmer frame things with the wheels on the bottom of it. <laughs> I mean, 
I feel a bit cheated by him, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, there we go. We, we saw an amusing story the other day, didn't we, as well, about uh, darts, a couple of darts players. So there was an article in, in uh, Sky News. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so obviously, similar to the manner in which we are podcasting, and we're, I think when you, if you watch this back, for everyone who, anyone who is watching it, um, obviously we're still available on audio. Um, but if you watch this back, then me and Jimbo are on split screens. Now, I think I'm going to be sort of on the right-hand side of the screen and Jimbo on the left-hand side of the screen, but we're not too sure. We should be sort of... It might have been the case when he passed me that pint of beer earlier that it might have gone around the entire world and I might have picked up from that side, but who knows? We, we think that we're kind of lined up all right. And it means that professional uh, PDC darts are doing a darts competition where people are playing at home inside their own garages or spare rooms or whatever. They're broadcasting it via a Skype call and they're broadcasting it out live after they filmed it on their iPhone. However... Um, Scottish darts player Gary Anderson can't play in the tournament because his broadband isn't good enough. <laughs> and I think it was funny because it's like you normally see sort of sports uh, articles, don't you? Um, not so much with darts, obviously, but uh, particularly like any other sport. You know, ruled out through injury, ruled out through illness, or ruled out through suspension, ruled out for a weak Wi-Fi, which we we, uh, <laughs> we found quite funny. I think one of them got a nine darter in their own kitchen the other day, didn't they? But how how are they policing this? How are they like you know making sure that? That it's all lined up properly and no one's cheating or edging a bit too close or I don't know. Oh, How... hang on, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry, I've, hang on, the Wi-Fi just gone down. Oh, 180 locks, did, he's got, I've got 180. Did you manage there to get, uh, no, did, have you just managed to get all of those shuttlecocks in the tube in, in the uh, space of in the space of 15 seconds? Have you just, oh, all look in there, Jimbo, look. there you go. I, I'm not sure, I, I think this is a, I don't think we can, we can qualify this over Skype, but anyway. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, what I think the uh, PDC should do is actually give him a new nickname. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe Gary Rubbish Broad Anderson <laughs> would be his. Or uh, I think his nickname is a Flying Scotsman. Yeah. So maybe Gary Rubbish Wi-Fiing Scotsman. Do they still have the darts girls on on other in other sort of Zoom Zoom rooms or Skype rooms or whatever? Where you know, where they, or, or did they kind of get rid of them anyway? I think they got rid of them anyway around the uh, Me Too. Ah, of, of uh, around the time of Me Too that they decided that after doing it for about 30 or 40 years that uh, maybe we should view women as more than sort of ladies who can walk around scantily clad at darts matches. Of course. I think still got my box in there. Yeah. Uh, I think you got rid of them at Formula One as well, didn't they? Yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was a fairly fairly amusing story. There was, I think there was one other darts player who said that he'd not really got a very good setup for his own home darts and that he, he practised on his landing and... To, to actually have enough space, he had to stand in his bathroom to <laughs> throw along his landing and chuck it into the dartboard. And it wasn't really very practical to play a professional game broadcasting live because if someone else needed to go to the toilet in his well, house, imagine then he if, couldn't. Imagine if, like, you know, like the wife's walking past in the kitchen with Sunday beef and, uh, you know, a dart nearly takes her out or something like that. It's not ideal, is it? Could be horrendous. Be, well, yes. But you can check the beef stone. Check the beef stone, oh. stick something in it and. Yeah, that feels hot enough. Uh, anyway, um, other things. So if you, you know, if darts isn't your thing, if you if you're bored and there's nothing else to do, and maybe you've got a young newborn baby, um, and you know you've not got enough nappies to change or arses to wipe, or you know looking after the uh, the, the you know the, the new mother and all that, you could bake maybe try baking a pasty as big as the baby, and that's just what one person did. I, I don't know if you saw that news article. Uh, was it a child who was confused as to how big the baby in pasty was? I mean, for example, they thought a cow and a cat were the same size, and <laughs> that was the result when they got told to make a pasty. Now, 
It's it's a really random one, isn't it? Um, he, he did it to sell. So it was a it was a he did it was a Cornish pasty to celebrate the birth of his son, and it matched the exact same size and weight of the baby. Um, but yeah, and you'd have thought maybe he'd have tried to make the pasty look like the baby, but he didn't. You know that that'd have been a step further. Try and actually bake. You know that make the the pastry the shape of the baby. That that'd have been even more advanced, I suppose. But yeah, there's a pic. Do, do you want to see? Do you want to see a picture of it? I don't know. Yeah, go on. Man. Can you can you see that? Uh, I can see that. I can see the lovely baby, the massive pasty, and the very irresponsible father bard looks of it. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I can see the baby looks very happy and healthy there. I was just wondering whether the, when the baby was born, it had got a crimped edge all the way around it, <laughs> um, like a true Cornish pasty. <laughs> anyway, um, so anything else you want to talk about in this? Oh, th- there was something that you spotted the other day that I thought we we definitely need to mention, so... Um, and I, I don't, this hasn't got anything to do with coronavirus, which is great because I think um, I mean, not that the baby, the, the person who made a pasty the same size as his son's got anything to do with coronavirus. But um, what about the woman who who who's somehow got some sort of attraction to chandeliers? Is it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so Sia. Um, no, 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 not <laughs> not Sia, the singer who's had a song chandelier. Um, there is a lady um, who is in a long-term relationship with a 92-year-old German chandelier. Uh, the lady in question, I think, is only in the 30s, so uh, that's, that's quite a scandal in itself with such an age difference. Um, she's from Leeds, so again, nice to get a bit of Yorkshire theme in there. Uh, and she actually complained that, I think it was some newspaper, they referred to her as, I think they basically said she was bonkers because she was in a, in a relationship with the chandelier, which <laughs> is surely quite unusual. And again, it was, a, it was another judgment from the press regulator, the IPSO, who ruled that Amanda Liberty... Uh, from Leeds in the thir- mid-30s. Uh, she complained that it wasn't fair that she... I think she was given an award called the Dagenham Award because that two stops from barking, I think, was how the son <laughs> referred to it. Um, reasonable joke there from the son. He um, said, actually, the, you can't really be in a relationship with an inanimate object, so it was fine to sort of have a bit of a go at her. Um, so I, I don't really know much about it. I wonder if when she watched the episode of Only Fools and Horses where they dropped the chandelier on the floor, whether she found that particularly upsetting... Well, um, <laughs> yeah, that, I, that was like a horror to her. Yeah, I think probably the most interesting part of the story is her name is Amanda Liberty. Uh, do you know why she's got that name? Go on. Uh, well, she used to be in a, in a relationship with the Statue of Liberty. I think I've heard of this before. What did the Statue of Liberty make of this? Uh, she said, I think that uh, that chandelier can't hold a torch to me. Um <laughs> Well, obviously, chandelier. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a form of lighting equipment. And uh, this uh, this lady, what's her name again? Sorry, uh, Amanda Liberty. Yeah, she said she found the sh- uh, chandelier quite a turn on. Hey, there you go. Anyway, she said the chandelier had got a, mo- a lot more candles than the Statue of Liberty. It just got one, so you know, <laughs> it could do a lot more for her. That's what, obviously uh, what it is. It's candles that she's after. That's that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Anyway. And obviously, with a chandelier being 92 years old, it'll have loads of bloody candles on its birthday <laughs> cake, so that'll make it even more attractive for her. Exactly. Um, anything else you want to finish on in this section, or are we are we ready to swift movely on? We'd, we've not done too much on news today, but... Uh... Oh, no, the no. One, the, there was one other thing I saw. Uh, in tai, Taiwan, I think, they've continued with their uh, live sport games, um, but they're not having fans in the stadium, but they're continuing to play games, whether that be baseball or, or anything. I think it was... Uh, a baseball stadium, they decided that they were going to have um, cardboard cutout fans, mannequins, <laughs> and drumming robots to replace the fans and, and create an atmosphere in the ground. Yeah, unfortunately, it got uh, 
it was quite bad when it turned out that 20% of people want to have sex with the drumming robots, didn't they? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that's that's not a bad idea. I mean, you know, there's, you know, even before coronavirus, we could have done with a few cardboard cutouts and mannequins and drumming robots down at Hillsborough some of the time. Yeah. Um, but... But no, I mean, it seems they seem to have gone to a lot of effort. And actually, it's funny because the cardboard cutouts are even wearing masks. <laughs> if you look at the images, the cardboard cutouts are even wearing um, wearing masks. Well done, is, yeah, um, but that's that's the other thing, isn't it? Um, which leads on to a sort of more serious story, really. The the fact that it's you know the, the disgrace that it's been of of our NHS staff being able to get um, PPE equipment and how it's just it's just not happening, is it? Well, do you think that's going to be the government's new excuse, which is that, really sorry, but some Taiwanese uh, cardboard cutouts are wearing <laughs> of the PPE that we ordered. Um, I did see it quite interesting, actually, without wanting to talk too much about coronavirus, that Matt Hancock, the health secretary, or health and health and social care secretary, I think is his full title, um, he was talking about if you work in the care sector, there's been a lot of focus on people working in the NHS, and yeah, quite rightly so to some degrees, they're doing a fantastic job, and all, all we can do is sort of try and stay indoors and save lives and, and do our part in terms of supporting them. But also there's a lot of people working in the care sector at the moment who are doing a lot of work in very different conditions and perhaps aren't getting that same recognition. So he, there is a new... Do you know what some of these people getting in the care sector have been offered and been told about from the health, health secretary? You can get a badge that oh, says the word care on it. I remember this, yeah. I, this is this is from early this week, isn't it? Yeah. And I can't but help thinking, and, and he posed with it, sort of there, holding a little badge in front of him that said the word care on it. And he thought, in this day and age where Photoshop is so prevalent <laughs> to certain people, and there are so many people at home with plenty of time on their hands now, yeah. is it really a good idea to stand there posing with a badge that's got a four-letter word being the word letter C? This is just like the... <laughs> And just like the Queen from a couple of weeks ago, wearing uh, choosing to wear a, a green dress to yes, wear, yeah. um, you know, to the public address of the nation and all that sort of thing. That wasn't obviously the the, the best idea from the the Queen's advisers, either, was it? Uh, no, probably not. But uh, but there we go. Should we uh, move move on to the quiz? I've got a quiz lined up for you, Jimbo. Let's move on. Have you been missold PPE? Have you been sold a rubber chicken instead of rubber gloves? Been flogged a gimp mask instead of a face mask? Is the Perspex shield you ordered little more than a bit of cling film? Then contact my PPE piss take. We can take forward your claim, no win, no fee. What's more, we'll even approach the government to get you the correct PPE, but don't expect a result there. My PPE piss take. We'll take on the big boys and put the shoe on the other nostril. Okay, so what have you got lined up for me, Fisher? So uh, after the quiz that we had a couple of weeks ago where Mike Ashley featured quite heavily, it was the, the bad boys of coronavirus thus far, wasn't it? Um, it reminded me just of Mike Ashley, and it's rumoured that Mike Ashley might be selling Newcastle to some Saudi Arabian investors, yeah. and that might be kind of that might be him exiting um, English football. And it sort of set me off that maybe actually Mike Ashley... He's not the only interesting Premier League owner. So I thought I'd do a quiz um, around some of the interesting things about other owners of football clubs. And I'll be honest. Look, is this, just, is this is just Premiership or is it going to be all... Just Premiership at the moment. Okay. I'll be honest. This is this is this this might last over a couple of volumes. Um, <laughs> I've only got 11 so far and I've only covered off about seven clubs. So okay. 
there might be might be some mileage in this for future ones. I suspect another one we might do is people who've been married to inanimate objects, like the person who was married to a chandelier. But that's we'll, good, yeah. That, that, that will be one for another day as well. So I thought I'd have a look through various uh, football clubs and their owners, predominantly current owners, but also maybe looking at some previous owners as well, and we'll uh, we'll see what we find out about them. So I've got eleven questions because there's eleven players in the football team, and first one: Arsenal owner Stan Kroenke who owns a number of sports teams based in Colorado, which of these is a genuine team? Is it the football team, the Colorado Chickens, or the basketball team, the Denver Nuggets? <laughs> um, so what does he... What's, so who's this, he, who is this again, sorry? This is the Arsenal owner, Stan Kroenke, who, as I say, he owns quite a lot of teams based in Colorado. Um, I think he owns the Colorado Avalanche so and Colorado Rapids. What's what's Bernie Eccleston got to do with Arsenal nowadays then? Because wasn't he partly... Has he sold them on now completely, or is he still involved in some way? Uh, he's got a massive arsenal of weapons uh, in his house <laughs> that he keeps hidden. Um, I don't think... I, to the best of my knowledge, he's never had any involvement with Arsenal Has whatsoever. Oh, right. Oh, I don't think so. I, I, what I did find out was that Sky used to own about 10% of Arsenal, but Oh, right, um, okay. I, I'm, I, having had a read-up yesterday about the ownership of Arsenal Football Club, because they were the first team in the list alphabetically, uh, I, I didn't see Bernie Eccleston's name. I, I don't know where I've got that from then, but I, I know he's got some sort of, whether he's just a fan, I, I don't know. I've got I've got some some reason for thinking that Bernie Eccleston is somehow involved in Arsenal, but never mind, sorry about that, if, if he's not. Um, so I'm going to go with... Uh, I, I don't, it was a, it, and it was a Colorado his, Chickens or the Denver Nuggets. What's his background, the Arsenal owner? Um, his background is being a very, very rich man. Does he own any takeaway restaurants or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. I think he's a bit of a media mogul, and then he started owning sports teams, particularly based in Colorado, and then he came and bought but that, Arsenal. That could also link back to the sort of the Nuggets thing. Could could not be about chickens. It could be about the sort of gold rush that might. Have, I don't know whether that was in in that area of America. Maybe possibly. Uh, I think it was more sort of West Coast, San Francisco. Oh right, where's Colorado uh, again? Further on. Uh, it's it's certainly sort of Midwest. It's sort of around um, uh, the River Colorado is what kind of goes near the Grand Canyon. Okay. Oh, well, uh, in fact, the River Colorado, I think the Hoover Dam takes its water from the Colorado River. Okay. Uh, and the Hoover Dam is based in Nevada, I think, Let, and Las Vegas. Let's outbreak. go with the chickens then in that case. The Colorado chickens, uh, you would be wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be one of those weeks again, isn't it? Maybe I was right about the nuggets, or was he actually... What is it about chickens, do you reckon? I'm assuming it's to do with gold nuggets, yeah. Oh, um, see, I was right the then. I just oh, I disbelieve um, myself anyway. Yeah, you doubt yourself. So, who is the chairman of Arsenal Football Club? I think he used to be a shareholder as well. Is it... Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> it's, it's not Bernie Eccleston, no. As far as I'm aware, anyway. Is it Sir Chips Keswick or Sir Keswick Fisher? <laughs> Sir Chips Keswick. What yes. a great first name, Sir Chips. So, right, I'm going to go with Fisher because you, you'd have picked that because uh, he's got your name, I think. Sir Keswick Fisher. Yeah. Uh, you would, of course, be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd pick that because it's got your name. No, I was. I saw it was actually called Sir Chips Keswick, and I thought I'd, uh, I'd put Fisher in just to just to see what uh, what we could do. Um. So yeah, two two nil to me, so to speak. <laughs> not, not that we not that we're keeping score or anything. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think his, his first name is actually Chips, but he's, he's colloquially known as Chips. 
um, him. And does well he, known investor from Does Park. he does he often walk around um, particularly at Christmas time when it's family time and sort of reenact catchphrases and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> does he go out and I need a symbol for that one, yeah. Say what you see. Um now he just walks to the street and people like to throw tomato ketchup and salt <laughs> on him, I think. Um so uh, Aston Villa, uh, their former owner was called Randy Lerner. Um, which Randy sounds Lerner. like it should be a, Randy Lerner. Yeah. Sounds like it Very, should be a disqualified driving instructor. Yeah. Um, certainly doesn't sound like a businessman, but there we go. Um, more sounds like someone who's come around to fix your plumbing in a porn film or something. Yeah. Um, so how did he end up in trouble with the police in 2019? Is it that he dropped down some protected... Some protected... Protected. That he, uh, it, I'm trying to say the word protected, but struggling very badly. Is it that Randy Lerner, who is American, as the name may suggest, did he chop down some protected trees and he was reported to the police by his neighbours, which included Alec Baldwin? Or did he build a pool house without the correct planning permission and his next door neighbour, who is former chat show host David Letterman, complained. Oh, okay. Um, it, I, I've got no other reason for. I've got no. I've, I, I couldn't even work out any reasons for choosing one or the other. So I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark, and I'm going to go. And you know, I normally get. If I've got to guess, I normally get it wrong. Yeah. So somehow, somehow, getting fifty percent of your guesses right doesn't work with me. Um, so I'm going to go the trees one that he chopped down trees that he shouldn't have. So is that your initial guess, or? Or have you thought of what your guess should be, then swapped it round? Nope, that's my guess. You sticking with that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you'll be right. Well Aye. done. Okay. First one I've got right. Uh, well done. Uh, the owner of Bournemouth is a Russian gentleman called Maxim Denim. Um, presumably made his fortune manufacturing pairs of jeans, I think. Um but he bought a five million pound house in the Sandbanks area of Dorset, which is particularly popular with foreign investors and a, a very, very um, high-end, lucrative place to, to own property. Um, what did he do with this five million pound house? Did he mysteriously sell it to Roman Abramovich for about two and a half million pounds six weeks later, or did he knock it down and rebuild a house on the same land? Um, well, is that is that like a, a bad thing to do? If you buy a house, you're not supposed to knock it. There must be some some something that protects you. Supposed to you're not supposed to do that. I'm guessing. But then again, you'd be paying for the house and the bricks and everything rather than just the land. Then so surely you'd be paying more. I don't know. Let's go. So the, you, let's go the Roman Abramovich one. That he sold it yeah. mysteriously for half the price of Roman Abramovich. No, he knocked his house down straight away and built a new one. Why did he do that? Uh. I think he just liked a lot, plot of land, but wasn't too keen on the house and wanted mm. to build something a bit more state-of-the-art, so by the sounds of it, just demolished what was there. Fair enough. Um, so, owner of Brighton Football Club, someone called Tony Bloom, what is true about him? Is it that he's a keen poker player and has got to the final table at the World Poker Tour, at, at a World Poker Tour event, or is it that he's a keen tennis player and made the semi-finals of the Junior Wimbledon in 1982? Well, you'd think he'd be uh, really good at sort of dealing with transfers, you know, and things like that if he, if he's a keen poker player. You know <laughs> what I mean? You'd think he'd be really good with that. Well, that reminds me, you've got, uh, we've got the big concert tonight, haven't we? The big, uh, there's a big sort of online concert where I think lots of stars are going to be sort of broadcasting from their own homes and doing various singing and stuff like that. Are, are we on it? No, we're not, I'm afraid. Um, you'd have thought so as well with some of my parody songs that I've done recently. Uh, Lady Gaga's involved. Let's just hope that uh, she's uh, taking the government advice and not poking her face anymore. 
You like that? Anyway. Um, but yeah, that's just a, a sad thing for the, the poker face. It linked back to that. But no, I'm going to go that... I'm going to say, I'm going to say because I think, I think he, I think he's got involved, he's involved in poker and I think he's a good poker player. I'm going to say that, I think. Well, you are wrong. <laughs> Again, I'm only guessing. I don't know how I managed to guess more wrong than right. Nah, Jimbo, I was bluffing. Oh. You're right. <laughs> You're not double bluffing, are you? God, no, I'm not double bluffing. It's just a single bluff. Yes, you were right. He's a keen poker player, and um, he got through to World Poker Series uh, events uh, into the final table. So what is true about Burnley and their ownership? Is it that they are owned by local people, all of whom are fans of the club, and the club has got no debt? Or is it the club chairman, Mike Garlick, Made the majority of his money from selling garlic. <laughs> what's his what, What's his second name again? Sorry, Mike Garlic. 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 His surname is Garlic, and he uh, made his money selling garlic. Right. Well, you know what? I've got an inkling what which one this one might be, and I think right that it's been. I think there has been some reports during all this coronavirus uh, outbreak sort of stuff that Burnley's in a bit of trouble. And I, I reckon because if it is mainly run by fans and, and so on, they haven't got anybody apart from the public and themselves to prop the club up during times like this. Whereas if they were playing regularly and receiving gate incomes and sponsorship and all that, those kind of things... It, it, it's doable, I think, if they do it properly. And I think Burnley have always been known for doing that quite well. So I... I think I'm going to go with, with that one, the, the fans one. The, the, it's the fans that, that run the club. Uh, you would be correct. Well done. That's a shame, isn't it? You know, because it, it will affect clubs like that the most. Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, he should sell some more garlic to try and make the money for uh, <laughs> selling the club. No, but uh, is it, what's it called now if, if your name is what you do? Nominative, nominative determinism? Yeah. For example, if, mm. if your name's Mr. Bun, then you might be a baker and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Have you um, got any? Uh, have you got any uh, recent supplies of tuna and uh, salmon and things like that you can bring over anytime soon? Well, obviously I panic bought some a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> other than that, no, not particularly. Um, so yeah, moving on to Roman Abramovich, who. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, I'll be honest. A bit like how it focused on Mike Ashley a few weeks ago. I've got a few, few questions about Roman Abramovich. <laughs> so. Where did Roman Abramovich live in the late 1980s? Was it he lived in a flat in Moscow, which also doubled as his business premises where he sold imported rubber ducks? Or was he living in the area of his birth, which is actually the former Soviet state of Belarus, and he manufactured pencils? <laughs> right, okay. Um, rubber ducks or pencils, okay. Both sound a bit quackers. But, uh... Hey! Um, so what? So he lived in Moscow and he had a, a flat there, but it also was his business premises where he sold rubber ducks. I'm guessing this is early yep. in his uh, financial career, I suppose, his uh, business yes. business career. Or or he lived in where? Sorry, you said Dor- uh, uh, Belarus, which Belarus. is the area where he was born, yeah. and he manufactured pencils. Well, if he goes to Belarus now, he could he could own a football club and just be cracking on as normal there because they're just carrying on with everything, aren't they? They're ignoring everything and just just going ahead with everything. So. Um, uh, well, he's, he's Russian, isn't he? So uh, I don't think that makes uh, any difference. I know, he's, well, I know he's Moscow and, you know, but let's, let's this, go. This was back in the days of the USSR, so it was kind of all, all one country. Mm. I don't think there's any, any link to any, uh, <laughs> any Chelsea player, is there? 
Uh, no. Not surprised from where, no. No, no, no duck related Chelsea players or anything like that. I don't think so. Never mind. Um, Let's go with, and he's got nothing to do with the mighty ducks or anything like that. He hasn't got bought any ice hockey teams because Russia quite like ice hockey, don't they? They do. But they're not. Then you might go on something here, Jim. Oh, hold on. Let's go with the ducks then. Uh, you are correct. Well yes. done. I knew there was something in that hidden away somewhere. Although I don't actually think there's any connection to the Mighty Ducks. I think he just manufactured. I think he just imported rubber ducks and sold them. So where was he living in 1992? Where was sorry, he living? Where was he living in 1992? Was he living in Kaliningrad, which is a strange bit of Russia between Lithuania and Poland? He was the richest man in that area, and he was running an energy company. Or was he in prison after being involved in an oil theft? Um, I, I, I as much as there have been various allegations and possibly some investigations into Roman Abramovich, possibly. I don't think he's actually been in prison, not, not that I've heard. So I'm going to go with the one that he he lived in that area and was the richest person there, and yeah. Uh, you'll be wrong. Oh, right, okay. It's... It's... I would very much say, if he or any of his friends are watching, it did say on his Wikipedia page that he was put in prison after being involved <laughs> in an oil theft uh, in 1992. Although it did say he did cooperate with the police very well. Right, okay. He was, wasn't in there for too long, apparently. Um, so, final question on Vladimir Putin. Um, <laughs> what is his... Reli- uh, sorry, on Roman Abramovich. <laughs> I, I guess who feeds in this next question. Um, did you do that on purpose? Uh, no, what, is, what is his relationship with Vladimir Putin like? Okay. Is it not on very good terms, hence him moving to the UK shortly after Putin became president? Or is it good... When Putin became Prime Minister, Abramovich allegedly interviewed candidates for various cabinet roles. Um, oh, this this is frustrating because I think I, I, I seem to think I seem to think it's the first one that he's he's not got a good relationship with with Putin, and that's one of the reasons he came to the UK. And I don't think he what like it didn't he have to leave as well the UK at one point, and I don't think he really wanted that. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with the first one. I think. Uh, that is not on good terms with Vladimir yeah. Putin, you would be wrong. Oh, right, okay. I would have thought it'd be fairly self-explanatory that um, if he wasn't on very good terms with Vladimir Putin, then he would be dead. Fair play. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he's just he, he's just not been anywhere near... Uh, Sal- uh, where was it, sorry? Um, Salisbury. Salisbury, that's all. I think... I think he doesn't um, spend much time in the UK at all nowadays. Yeah, I, I think in, he was told not to, basically, wasn't he? Or was he... I think there's bans on various Russian people coming into the country. I yeah. think he was inadvertently ended up being one of them. So I think to the extent where he doesn't even pay for his seat at Chelsea anymore. <laughs> I think he used to. I think he used to buy a director's box every year for a yeah. certain amount of money, and now he doesn't even bother with that. So mm. um, I don't think we've seen much of him in the UK. Um, the current co-owner of Crystal Palace is someone called Joshua Harris. So we've done other Roman Brownovich questions now. So moving on to Crystal Palace. Current co-owner of Crystal Palace is someone called Joshua Harris. Uh, which of these is true about him? Is it that he's close friends with the Clintons and he donated heavily for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign? Or has he advised the Trump administration on their infrastructure policy? Um, right. Now, Simon Jordan owned Crystal Palace before, didn't he? Yep, and he's going up in the next question. Is he? And I don't know if Simon Jordan sold Crystal Paris di- Palace direct- directly to the current owners of Crystal Palace. Then. I don't know if, if there was any anyone in between that. Um, but I think as much as Simon Jordan's a bit of a character and he's one of those kind of, in, in some ways, it can be a love-to-hate sort of character, I think I think he's 
ethics tend to be quite strong, Simon Jordan. So would he have sold Crystal Palace to somebody who would be involved with Donald Trump and his administration? I would say no. So I'm going to say that it was it was that that current owner um, was with was 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 friends of Hillary the Clintons basically. It's interesting you say that ethics and sort of say that uh, being friends with the Clintons will be an ethical thing well, to do with uh, Bill Clinton. There. Well, come on, um, it's 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 one or other in it, you know. Yeah, uh, you are wrong, unfortunately. Oh. Well, I tried. I tried to be uh, logical about it. Um, so I think the company went into administration after Simon Jordan was the owner, um, right, okay. and I think it was bought out of administration by someone else, and then uh, two American investors who in. I think also own some New Jersey-based um, sports teams and possibly a Philadelphian sports team are co-owners of Crystal Palace nowadays. And presumably at some point he, he gave advice to the Trump administration about infrastructure. We've got infrastructure. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to get things from A to B in the best way, the most efficient way to get from A to B. Pre- we don't know how to do it. We'll do it best. We'll do it best. Pray silence, please. Yep. How could we forget? Uh, so final question coming up. It is. It concerns Simon Jordan. Um, former Crystal Palace owner Simon Jordan became involved with former BBC sports reporter Tara Stout in the mid-2000s. What ultimately happened in their relationship? Is it that she effectively stalked him, bombarded him with text messages, and the case ended up going to court? In one memorable court hearing, she stripped to a Union Jack bikini outside the courtroom. Or is it that she claimed in the news of the world that she became pregnant with his child after he romped with her in his Land Rover on some wasteland near Battersea Power Station. It was later revealed that he had never even met her, aside from giving one interview to her, and he proved that he was in Marbella at the time of the alleged incident. Okay. It always amazes me that you have to have made one of these up as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, stripping... I, I, would a journalist do do something like that? I mean, they know how to get attention, how to get press and so on. So so doing something like that outside of court and stripping down to a, a Union Jack bikini. Why it would be Union Jack bikini and what that's got to do with anything, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but I, I think it, it doesn't make much sense, that one. The second one, not that it makes any sense to lie about something that didn't happen and so on either, but I, I've got a feeling there's a bit more to that story and that's a bit of a bigger thing. So I'm going to go with the second one. And that, yeah, she she basically said things that didn't happen and he could prove that it didn't happen and so on. Okay, and you will be wrong. (laughs) I've not done very well when guessing, again. (laughs) So you made the second one up? Uh, Yeah, I made the second one up, yeah. (laughs) Um, What's wrong with that? Is that just uh, just something from your uh, your, your life history that you've, you've picked out instead? I don't own a Land Rover, you know that, Jimbo. <laughs> I've got a Toyota Yaris, um, and I've never been to Battersea Power Station or even the wasteland next to it. Um, but yeah, apparently, uh, for whatever reason, she started stalking him. Somehow, got his telephone number and was sending him like two hundred odd messages a day, which included apparently at one point she read an entire book down the phone to him just to fill up his voicemail message box, and no one else could leave him voicemails. Um, and I think she ended up in. I don't. She was certainly told to be, I think she was sentenced to be put in prison, but I don't know if she ran, then ran off and was kind of on the run. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, quite, a, quite an unusual story when I was reading up about him. Mm. Uh, did, did, do you know who he goes out with at the moment, Simon Jordan? No, not sure. Um, he goes out with Michelle Dubry, who won Series 2 of The Apprentice, I think. Oh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah, there you go. From, there go. from Yorkshire, I think. Yeah, there we go. But I don't, but I don't think she's from Dewsbury. 
Well, thank you very much. Is that was that all of our questions for today? Uh, that's all the questions. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that for sure. I'm looking forward to more um, questions about football club owners in the future as well. Thank you. So that is uh, pretty much all we've got time for. Uh, the last thing I'd like to do uh, is mention that we got a nice review, didn't we, Fisher? Um, we did. Just the other day, um, which caught me by surprise, really. So um, I, thought, I thought I'd just read that out to you and then uh, just encourage anyone else, if you want to leave a review or tell us anyone about us and you know and, and anything at all like that, we'd really appreciate that. And we've got Instagram, haven't we now, Fisher? You've set up our Instagram. Yeah, I've not put anything on there yet, but I've set it up. Uh, obviously, if you leave a review, I'm going to leave a decent one. Not well if you've got if you're going to slag us off. You know, no interest in that. It gives us some content, doesn't it? Even if they do, well, we've got we've got five star ratings. And it's <laughs> worth pointing out this review we got, as far as we're aware, is genuine. It's not one of the ones we've made up, like most. We of didn't them. make any up. Anyway, so this one then, brilliant lockdown pick me up. It said, and it's from Sam Chef eighteen sixty seven. So I reckon that means he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Uh, five star rating. I wanted to find some new podcast to listen to and something Sheffield based. This is one of a couple of Sheffield podcasts I've, I've subscribed to. He's a podcast whore. Not just they're listening in, to in. us. I bet he's wrote the same thing on everyone else's as well. <laughs> Do you reckon so? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, there are, there are no other Sheffield podcasts that you should listen to. Just this one. <laughs> These boys are great, and they've had me and even my fiance. So I'm not, not sure what he means by that. She's sort of referring to as having no sense of humour or something. Uh, chuckling away <laughs> while sat in the garden during the lockdown. You might be a waste of web space, but certainly not a waste of my time. Brilliant work. And a round of applause emoji. So there we go. And there you go. There's your round of applause, Sam Chef, 1867. Uh, but yeah, please do follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, right, look at our Instagram. We'll try and get that up and running this week. And we do keep putting things um, on our social media pages and web pages as well. Uh, little like parody clips and our adverts and so on that you might hear on the show. All those kind of things. So lots to have a look at when we're not actually podcasting away. But yep, thank you very much for listening to us. Yeah, we're trying to produce a bit more content. We're podcasting every week. Um, remember, stay safe, stay indoors, and we hope you look after yourself over this lockdown period. And wash your hands thoroughly. Yep, and don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. Don't do that. I've been touching my face all the way through this podcast, people might point out. Anyway, bye. <laughs>